Let's pray. Ask the Lord for all these things. Jesus, we pray that you are, Lord, that you are the sovereign Lord of everything. And we pray that you will hear our prayer from heaven. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Uh, Lord, that we don't come to you as a, as a God who's capricious, who, a God who doesn't care, a God who uh, is too busy. Lord, you give an ear, an attentive cry, an ear to the attentive cry of your people. Lord, thank you that you hear from heaven. Lord, we have found a new and living way through you to the Father. And we ask you, Lord, that you help us in the midst of trouble and, and hardships and difficulties and family and loved ones and loved ones that are not saved, Lord, loved ones that are struggling in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be, uh, Lord, a shield and a fortress to them, Lord, that need you, that call out to you, that you would be a convicting, the convicting Holy Spirit to draw them to you, Lord. And we pray that you be the healer. You will be Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals, and he heals all of our diseases. And we thank you, Lord, that you went around doing good all throughout the town of Galilee and Nazareth and Jerusalem. And you went about, Lord, preaching the kingdom of God and bringing salvation to those who would respond. So, Lord, thank you for caring for us in our bodies and our mind and our spirit. All things, Lord, you have covered. And so, Lord, we ask you today that you help us with this word that we have in front of us. Lord, help us to get into it, not just on Sundays. Lord, help us to get into it daily and need it, Lord, that we would have a hunger for it, Lord, and we would, we would lose sight in a hunger. We would lose the hunger for other things and more hunger for you, your word, your spirit. We pray that you would teach us through Paul and what he wrote. And you help us, Lord, to, uh, Lord, not only digest it in us, Lord, but also we put it into action. So there is the power. The power is to do your word. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, Ephesians chapter 3, very quickly, Ephesians chapter 3. Paul has laid out such an amazing doctrine already and who we are in Christ. And the first part of the book is about to come to a conclusion, meaning the first part has to do with us sitting with Christ in heavenly places. The next section is going to deal with walking with Christ in this world and in the church. And then the last part, which will be chapter 6, will be standing against the wiles of the enemy. So if you could remember those three things, sit, sitting, walking, and standing. Sitting, walking, and standing. You have the whole book of Ephesians. Uh, saved you a lot of money if you're going to take a college course. That's really all it was. <laughs> However, there's, it's good to go. It's, it's good to get a good understanding because a lot of details. And here's the part about sitting. We've been reading chapter 1 and chapter 2. And Paul is going to bring us to the end of sitting because he's going to remind the church, the Ephesians, what it means to be in Christ and how they came to Christ. Isn't that wonderful to know how he came to Christ? And Paul is going to talk about himself, not because he's an egotistical maniac. It's because God did something in him. And I'm sure you have a testimony as well. How God would pick the unlikeliest people, the unlikeliest people, to bring about his good and his good pleasure. Unlikely, I never would have picked myself. Most likely, you never would have picked me. But God did, and God picked you. And uh, we can argue about why, but he did. And we leave it at that. But the unlikeliest of all 
This is Paul the Apostle. We're going to talk about that. And so today's message is, can you keep a secret? Can you keep a secret? See, it, uh, it kind of works this way. If I tell you don't keep a secret, right? <laughs> but if I tell you to keep it, then you actually won't. Yeah. And Paul is going to tell us something about a secret, a secret that cannot be kept, a secret that cannot be kept, and that is what Paul was privileged to have the revelation of God. We're going to only read 13 verses today. I was very ambitious and tried to do 21 verses today. Uh, and the Lord reminded me of my shortcomings and who I am. And uh, I said, you're right, Lord. Maybe I should just cut it in half. And uh, so we're going to read up to verse 13. Read with me. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship uh, literally, the management of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Now, that word mystery, um, this is where we get our word secret. It's really not a mystery like a novel that you read. It's really the word for something secret that has now been revealed. There was something that God knew that didn't tell anybody. He kept it hidden until he showed it to Paul. This is what Paul was so blown away. This mystery, as I wrote before in brief, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery or the secret of Christ. There's a mystery, and it has to do with Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister, really a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. I want you to notice something when you read it, especially the whole chapter. Just circle the word for power, for strength, for might, and you'll find out some very interesting things that Paul is revealing here regarding the power of God. Verse 7, to the working of his power, to me, the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable, unsearchable, unbelievable. Paul loved to have these uh, sort of uh, this, this great big words that you think, is he exaggerating? No, <laughs> he's just... Probably couldn't find enough words to explain this. To find uh, to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring light. What is the administration of the mystery or the secret which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things? See, it was in God. He just didn't tell anybody. Sort of. We'll find out more about that. In order that the manifold wisdom of God may be known through the church, to, uh, through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That verse right there is unbelievable when we get to it. Uh, I have a hard time believing that, but it's true. This was in accordance to the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Verse 14 to the end of the chapter. Talks about Paul's prayer. Talks about Paul's prayer. So here's Paul, the unlikeliest of all people to go. If somebody was going to, if you're going to go to the Gentile world, the Greek world, the philosophy world, 
why would you pick the most Jewish of all Jews? <laughs> the most Jewish of all Jews. Well, when God wanted to reach the Native Americans and the blacks in the South, in America, he picked two Englishmen, two white men. George Whitfield and John Wesley went to preach to the Native Americans and to the blacks in the South. Unlikely. When God wanted to reach coal miners in Bristol in England, hard men, hard places, he picked a scholar from Oxford, John Wesley, to go up and preach. When he wanted to reach the areas of New York, the hard areas of New York, he picked a country preacher from Pennsylvania named David Wilkerson to go to the most difficult places in Harlem. You would not have picked that. I'm sure I never would have picked them. But here's God. And for years and years and years, he's picked white missionaries to go to black Africa. And people became saved. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yet now God is bringing black African Christians to Europe and into America to preach the gospel here uh, because we need it. Unlikely. But yet God is in the business of unlikely. The unlikely hero is Paul. The Jew of all the Jews, he says, of himself, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, goes to the Hellenistic world, and he is going to bring something that nobody else can. Paul uh, was on the way to arrest Christians in Acts 9. He was on the way to arrest Christians, and he says, in that process, God arrested me. I was on the way to arrest Christians, and God arrested me. He changed me on the way to Damascus. And now he's writing from prison in Ephesus. And he's writing, I'm sorry, from prison in, 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 uh, in the area of Israel, and he's writing to the Ephesians, and he's writing about an interesting thing, the Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ. He was a prisoner. He was writing to them something that was very unique. How do Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles get together? How can that be? Jews have a totally different culture, background, ideas, cuisine, Gentiles, totally different. How can they be one in Christ? How can they come together? And the background of this is there was a problem, right? The Jews were the minority in Ephesus, uh, but they were the first ones to receive the gospel. Christians, the Jews were the first ones to receive the gospel. They were the first Christians. Never forget that part, right? The Jews were the first ones to believe in Jesus. They were the first one, but they were the least. And the church in Ephesus was largely made out of Gentiles, like us. But they were new believers. They were newer. The Jews had all the history. They knew where their faith came from. Came from Abraham, came from Isaac, came from Jacob. They had the covenants. They had Moses and David and the prophets. What did the Gentiles have? That's what we learned last week. Nothing. Nada. That's what it was. They had nothing. Pastor, that is offensive. Well, well, this is what the Bible says. We were apart from God. We didn't belong to God's people. We had no hope of salvation. And to the Jews, to the Jews, not to God, but to the Jews, we were second-class citizens. We had no covenant. We had no hope. We had no promise. We had no Messiah. We had no salvation. Nothing. Make you feel good? Well, it means that God has a plan. Because in Christ, we have now been changed. Gentiles who had no access have Christ now. And because we have Christ, 
We have the kingdom of God. We have the family of God. And he's made us into the temple of God. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God did. Just one thing changed. Christ. Everything else changes. That's what when we say, when you get Christ, you get everything. And it truly is everything. When you have Christ, you have everything. And so Gentiles were coming in, and Paul was the vehicle for this. Paul was the vehicle to communicate this, because this was not known. This was not known to the prophets in the Old Testament. This was not known to, we're going to find out, to angels. This was not known to anybody except for God, and he had hidden it in himself. And so now we have hope of salvation, the unity of the Spirit, and God doesn't see a difference between Jew and Gentile anymore. It doesn't see you as second-class citizen or first-class citizen. It doesn't see them as first-class citizen or second-class citizens, but to all in Christ, we are one in Jesus. And therefore, this is what Paul is saying. The Jews and Gentiles, we are one new man in Christ Jesus. This is a wonderful news, and Paul was the vehicle to tell us that. And I know we take it for granted. Because maybe you're raised in a church, you're raised a Christian, you were raised in a Christian home or in a, in a Christian society, and we don't even understand that. But the reality is, this is new. This is only 2,000 years old in a sense of uh, new to the world, the fact that God in, uh, has brought Jews and Gentiles together in Christ. Now, let's go back to Paul. Why is he in prison? Turn to Acts really quick. Turn to Acts, and uh, I'll have it up here uh, just in case we... I beat you to it. Acts 21, Paul was in prison, and he's going to tell us why. Look at verse 26 of chapter 21. And he says of himself, or this is Luke writing about Paul, that Paul took the men the next day, purifying himself along with them into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia... That is the area of Turkey today. Don't think of Asia as China, Japan, or Korea. Think of it as the province of Asia, the Roman province of Asia, which was in Turkey today. We call Turkey, the western side of Turkey. Upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up the multitudes, and they laid hands on him, saying, Man of Israel, crying out loud, Come out to our aid. This is the man who preaches that all men everywhere against our people in the law in this place. And besides, he has been bringing Gentiles into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trifemus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So Paul was in prison for one reason. The Jews accused them of bringing Gentiles, one specific man, Trifemus, into the temple. Remember I showed you that picture of the dividing wall and the excavation of the sign that says, upon punishable by death, no Gentile can cross over. Well, Paul said, uh, Paul was accused of this. I should say the Jews said Paul did this. And therefore he's now in prison because of the Gentiles. He's now in prison for going to the Gentiles and preaching Christ to them. Now, he did not bring them across the temple, but he brought many Gentiles to Christ. He brought many Gentiles to God. He brought many Gentiles into the presence of God, and they were angry at Paul. And this were the men, we'll go back to Ephesians, this were the men who were accusing him, and they were from Ephesus. So they, this, this, this is a, it goes back to this time of Paul being in Ephesus, Paul is reminding them that it's because of you. 
I don't, I don't carry this as a, as a bad thing, but it's literally Paul's in prison because his ministry to the Gentiles, his own ministry to the Gentiles brought him into a difficult place. So let's look at verse 1. Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He's a, he's a prisoner. For what reason? For their sake. See, Paul was not shy about bringing Gentiles to Christ. The Jew, the most Jewish Jew that you could ever find, was absolutely had no problem bringing Gentiles to Jesus because now he wasn't bringing them into Judaism, he was bringing them to Jesus. And that, even to Jewish Christians at the first century, was, was unbelievable. What do you mean you're bringing them to Jesus? He's our Messiah, said the Jews. He's our Jesus, he's our Christ. You have no business bringing Gentiles in. In fact, the only way Gentiles can be in Christ, said the early Christian Jews, is that they become Jews and they become Christians. So that's the entrance. The entrance is Judaism. It's fine to come to the Messiah, but you have to be a Jew. You have to become a Jew. You have to go through the rituals of the Jewish practice. You have to obey the law of Moses. And Paul, in the grace of God given to him, look at verse 2. Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you by the revelation made known to me the secret as I wrote to you and brief. Paul calls himself a steward. A steward. And the word for steward, if you, if you, if you might work being a steward today, you may not know it. It's literally somebody who works for the boss, like somebody owns the farm. And the steward is simply the guy who makes sure that everybody works and everybody is doing their job and he presents the profits or the loss to the boss, to the, to the owner. That's what a steward does. It's simply a man who manages it and makes sure that everybody's doing their job and presents the profits or the loss to the owner. Well, Paul says, I am the steward. I am the steward of what? God's grace. The riches of God. Isn't it amazing? I mean, Paul must have been incredibly excited to realize that what he was passing out was God's grace. He was the steward. He was the uh, administrator, the, the one who handled the grace of God and says, you get some, and you get some, and you get some, and you get some. Can you imagine a multi-billionaire coming to you and says, I'm going to give you $3 trillion, and you need to pass it out to whoever you know, and uh, make appointments and just pass out money. And uh, would you be excited? You'd be like, you would have a joy just to call somebody up and say, look, I got something for you. I got something so good, just, make me, just, just meet with me. I don't care when, I just meet with me. And you would go. And you say, here, here I'm going to write your check for $1 million. Here you go. And that would make their life. That would make their day, right? But you'd be so excited of doing it. Well, this is what Paul is doing. But it's not money. It's something even more greater than that. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And he was so fortunate to say, I am the administrator of the grace of God. I've been called by God to give you the news about the grace. You're going to get a lot of grace. Now, Paul was an apostle. Paul was, had the authority of an apostle. He acted like an apostle, but he always knew that he didn't deserve it. That's what he said, the grace. The grace. The grace given to me. When you know it's grace, you know it's not you. Amen? When you know it's grace, you know it's not you. I have the grace to teach. I have the grace. That's all it is. That's all it is. Don't think of me in any other way. Just the greatest grace to teach. Without the grace, just a mumbling idiot. Right? 
That's really all they would be. Say a lot of stuff, right? I, you know, somebody could be a great orator. Somebody could be a great uh, administrator. But without the grace of God, it won't mean anything. You have a gift from God today? Anybody have gifts from the Lord? Yeah. Right? No? Nobody? Yeah. Gift of God? Yeah. In Corinthians, it says it's the grace gifts. Charis, my daughter's name. Grace. Charismatic gifts. Grace. Grace gifts. You don't even have them yourself. They're not for you. Oh, Pastor, you offended me. You don't have any gifts. You don't have any gifts per se. You have the grace to operate in that gift. You only have the grace to do what God called you to do. You speak in tongues. You don't have the gift of tongues. You have the grace to speak in tongues. You have the gift of teaching. No, you don't have the gift of teaching. You have the grace to teach. You have the gift of mercy. No, you don't have the gift of mercy. You have the grace to show mercy. And it's not even for you. It's for the body through you, but it's grace. That's what they're called charismatic gift. Charis, grace. So stop behaving like they're yours. They're God's. <laughs> he lets you use them. Don't think of yourself too highly. And here's Paul, an apostle, the only one who has seen the ascended Jesus. Think about that. Paul's the only one of the apostles who saw the ascended Jesus. And yet he says, I have the grace. He could have said, ah, don't you know who I am? I'm the one who saw Jesus ascended. Well, he says, I have the grace. I have the grace and I have this prison. <laughs> I have the grace. And when you're in prison, I guess you can't really boast too much, right? When you're in prison, you'd be like, I'm in prison for this ministry. I'm in prison for this ministry. And I know Paul probably would have thought, can I be of any help to anybody here in prison? Yes, Paul, you can write and you can pray. Is that awesome? What encouragement to you. You may be in a difficult spot today. You may be going like, I don't know if I can be of any use to anybody today. Has, has anyone ever felt like that? Like as a Christian, I cannot be of any. I'm sick. I'm, I'm in this mess, maybe in prison. <laughs> How can I be of any help to any Christian? You can write an encouraging letter to someone, and you can pray. And you can pray. And I'm sure Paul was uh, praying. He says he's praying, and he's sharing. Imagine being tied up to Paul. The guards were tied up to Paul, and Paul says, I bow the knee. I'm sure the guard that was chained to Paul was going, this man prays all the time, and he writes all the time, and he cries all the time. I need to know what's his secret. I need to know the secret. That's why Paul is able to write, greetings to you, from me, from Timothy, and from the whole Caesar's household. The whole palace guard sends you greeting. You know why he said that? Those bad dudes, those MI6, those uh, Green Berets from uh, Roman, the Roman Legion, Caesar's uh, elite guards, became Christians because of Paul. Because of writing letter to Gentiles. Don't ever think your situation is a hopeless situation. Paul can do it. Look at verse 3. This mystery, this secret, I've been given the secret. I wrote to you about it. Verse 4, and by referring to this, when you can read, when you read, uh, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Can you keep the secret? God didn't tell anybody about this. God didn't tell anybody. It wasn't revealed until the New Testament. See, from the Hebrew Scriptures, God had a plan. What was the secret? The Gentiles can come straight to God without becoming Jews. That's the secret. 
See, you take it for granted today because you were raised in a Christian home, perhaps. You heard the gospel. You've been a Christian for some time. But boy, what good news that would have been to anybody in that church. You don't have to be Jews. You don't have to get circumcised. All the men say amen, right? You don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to go through the ritual. You don't have to go through the process. You don't have to wear a keep, a yarmulke. You don't have to wear any of that stuff. You can come to God directly through the Messiah. That's what it's the mystery of Christ. And it's been revealed. It's been revealed to you today, Paul says, through my ministry. But Paul couldn't believe it that God would choose him. Why would he choose the Jews of all Jews to go and tell Gentiles? Couldn't he just pick the Gentiles to go tell them? No, Paul. We need the Jewish of all Jews, and he'll explain why in a moment. But this was not revealed to anybody. See, in the Old Testament, you had this. You had Jews. You had Jews that had the, the Word of God, the Revelation of God, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Law. And then you had Gentiles sitting on the outside going like, hey, we want to worship God. Great, come in. And you had to become a Jew. So there's Ruth. There's Jethro. Right? Who else? Anybody remember another Gentile who became a Jew? Rahab? Very good. They all had to become Gen uh, Jews, including Abraham. He was a Gentile who became a Jew. They all had to become Jews. The vehicle to know God in the Old Testament was through the Jews, was through the Jewish uh, um, Judaism, through the, 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 the laws and the religion that God gave the Jews. The only way to know God was through them. And so Gentiles will come in. And so the nations had to become Jews. But now, Paul says, at the, at the right time, at the right time, God held the secret for a long time that nobody knew. And he says, Paul was excited. He was the instrument because now God is going to reveal this mystery. Verse 5. To other generations, he, made known, he did not make known to the sons of men. This was not known. Uh, indirectly, was not known directly in the Old Testament. There were only hints. There were only hints, but never directly. But now they can come straight to Jesus. He says, as it now has been revealed in his holy apostles, the prophets in the spirit. The mystery is that Christ Jesus is now bringing Gentiles and Jews together to one man, one body. So there don't exist two churches. There exists one church. There doesn't exist two bodies of Christ, one body of Christ, and is made up of Jew and Gentiles. Now, Paul had talked about this to the Colossians. The mystery has been hidden through the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Paul was the vehicle. The Gentiles had the revelation. The Gentiles had the revelation. And the revelation was quite amazing. In fact, Paul knew about this. In Acts 22, he said of himself, as Paul is in prison, he said, go, for I will take you, send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul knew, even from Acts, that God was going to use him to reach Gentiles, to reach believers, just like me, just like you. And he couldn't wait. He couldn't wait to tell them. So Paul goes and tells the, Jew, the Gentiles about Jesus. He goes to the Gentiles to bring them to bring them to Jesus, not to bring them to Israel, to bring them to Jesus. Paul did not take the traditions of the Jews. He brought Jesus. That's the difference. He didn't bring them to Judaism. He didn't bring the traditions of the Jews. He brought them to Jesus, and he brought Jesus to them. And that's a great important thing to you and I as missions, missionaries, 
not to bring our traditions, not to bring church traditions, not to bring things that you like and don't like about church traditions and your own culture, is to bring Jesus. You're not bringing them to be Americans. Amen. You're bringing Amen. them to become Christians. And that's what happens. I know missionaries in other parts of the world that I've been to them, uh, with them, that you know, we just preach Jesus. It's not an American church. It's whatever church they go to, in Thailand, the Philippines, wherever they are, but to bring them to Jesus, to bring them to Christ. And that's what Paul did. Verse 6, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. I love this. Fellow heirs in Christ, fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Fellow heirs. I love these words. Fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers. Boy, that is quite, quite a mouthful. Partakers of the promise. And you got to sit back a little bit, take a step back and go, me? The promise to Abraham to me? Then it hits home a little bit when you read the Bible and you guys say, man, God, God showed Abraham a lot of stuff. And those promises are now to you in Christ. We know that the Jews had the background, had the history, had the heritage. The Gentiles had nothing. But now in Christ, they have absolutely everything. And the Old Testament tell us, it tells us how the Jews got the covenants. But it doesn't tell us how the Gentiles got the covenants. Because now it's been revealed. This is a New Testament thing. This is a New Testament idea. This is why the Jews, even Peter tripped on this. Peter couldn't understand how, how can Mexicans and Italians and, and uh, Norwegians and Australians, how can they get the great, same grace that we have? Because of Jesus. Amen. Because of Jesus. Makes all the difference. Now the word partaker here is a beautiful word. I'm going to highlight it here. The word partaker there, sumetoka. Sumetoka, it doesn't just mean like we're friends, like a fellow. It literally means to eat together, but not just to eat together. Um, I wish I had a sandwich. This would actually make sense. <laughs> Anyone? But it does make sense. To be a sumetoka, it's not to eat together, like I invite you to eat together. We ate together with our brother yesterday, last week. But it's not to eat together, it's to eat of the same plate and from the same food. So if I had a sandwich and I take a bite and I give it to you, that's fellowship. It may gross you out, you may be a germaphobe, but that is the word that Paul uses. Take it up with God, right? That is the word that he uses. It's not eating together like we think of it. It's eating the same food off the same plate. But by the way, you do that already. <laughs> when do we do that? When we take communion, don't we eat the same, yeah. same bread? We don't bring a special bread for you, by the way. Sorry. It's the same bread. It's the same one you eat, I eat. Pastor, I'm taking communion. No more here. I'm bringing my own bread. No, but in reality, it's clean. But it's, in meaning, it's the same, same loaf. It's the same matzah bread. It's the same bread. You ate it, I ate it. It just was broken up in pieces. But it's the same bread. And that's what the word fellow partaker means. It means that it's not just eating together. Eat the same sandwich. Eat the same food. Eat the same plate. Now, when Jesus went to the Samaritans, remember the story? Turn to John chapter 4. The Jews were so against the Samaritans, they wouldn't even eat with the Samaritans. John 4, verse 9. In fact, the Samaritans were half Jews. They were called mongrel Jews. They were half Jews and half Gentile. And they were called the Samaritans. And in Jesus' day, there was a rift, 
Huge rift. In fact, we could see it even in the conversations that Jesus has with the Jews. Even the conversations Jesus had with the Samaritan. In verse 9, Jesus appear, uh, comes to her, gives him, uh, asks him for, ask her for a drink, the Samaritan woman by the well. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me a drink, since I am a Samaritan? For, uh, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See the word dealings there? Look it up. It means a dish. It means a dish. Jews have not the same dish with the Samaritans. It absolutely means nothing if you just knew the word. What's the word for dish? But now you know what it means. Partakers, right? You don't even eat with Gentiles. You don't even eat with Samaritans. Jews have no same plate as the Samaritans. They don't even want to eat off the same plate with the Samaritans. What did Jesus say? Lady, you don't know what you're talking about. One day... It's not going to matter if you worship in this mountain or that mountain, what race you're from. It's only going to matter that you worship God in truth and in spirit. That's the only thing that's going to matter. And she said, I think you're a prophet after Jesus told her about her life. And he says, yeah. And she said, oh, the Messiah is going to come. He says, it is, it is him who's speaking to you. And she was all excited. She ran back to her town and told uh, all of her, all the relationships she had. She has had five husbands, and the last one was not the one that she was married to. So uh, Jesus was able to deal with this woman, but brought her to a point where she knew that it wasn't about being a Jew or being a Samaritan. It was about being with Jesus. It's about being with Christ. Let's go back to Ephesus. Uh, well, maybe not the city, but the letter, the Ephesians, chapter 3. Partakers, Jews and Gentiles are now can eat of the same food, of the same plate. Verse Six, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We take for granted the Old Testament as Christians because we quote it, we look at it, we read it, we take so much comfort, the promises. But you forget that it wasn't written to you. It was written to Israel. The Psalms were praise songs, were worship songs and praise songs of the Jews. They weren't yours. How'd you get them? Why do you quote them? Why do you have them? Why do you take comfort in them? Because of Jesus. Amen. They're now Hallelujah. ours. They're now our scriptures. It's their scriptures, but we've been adopted into them. That's what you can quote the Psalms today. Oh, my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Oh, hope in God, for in him there is peace, there is comfort. Why are you disquieted, oh my soul? That was David's cry. That was a Jewish cry to the God of Israel. But now you have, you know, Mexicans and Americans and <laughs> quoting the same verse. How did that happen? You ever wonder how, maybe it's just me this week, it just hit me like, how did we get to that point? We had no scripture, we had no promise, we had no hope, but now they're ours. And Paul says this was a secret. This was a secret, verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to, the God's, to God's grace, which was given to me according to his working power. And there's going to be an amazing thing that's going to happen here. Paul is going to start describing the power of God. The power of God. And we'll read that next week as well. The power of God. And the power of God is demonstrated in the preaching and in the prayers 
of his people, in the preaching and in the prayer of his people. And we're going to get to that next week. Today we're just going to talk about the preaching of Paul because he is telling us that he had this gift. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, he had a, a ministry to go and preach the grace of God and the gospel, the good news, the good news that Christians, that Gentiles can now come to Jesus and be of one body, of one partaker, same dish, same promise, same hope, same Messiah as the Jewish people. And now we have hope. And now we're not in the dark. And now we have a promise that all the promises made to Jesus are now made for the, Jewish, uh, the, the Jews and Gentiles as well. This mystery, the mystery of God, the Gentiles and Jews are equal. And Paul paid for this. He paid heavy for this. How did he pay it? He went to prison. He went to prison for this. And even the Judaizers went all over the place chasing Paul around. And when the Judaizers got to a town where Paul was preaching, they would say, oh, pay no attention to that Paul. Pay no attention to that Paul. He's a Jew, but he's a traitor. And he's bringing you the wrong message, they would say. He's telling you you can go straight to Jesus. How dare he? We all know you've got to come Jews. You've got to become Jews. We all know you've got to get the law of Moses under your belt. We all know you've got to get this done. And so they started confusing people. And Gentiles started going, maybe we should meet on Saturday. And maybe we should get circumcised. And maybe we shouldn't eat the hot dog and the, um, what else do you like? Carnitas and, you know, you don't like the, uh, the other stuff. The, uh, what else? Um, Lobster, there we go. Lobster best. You, you, can't, you can't eat that. We got to go back to eating something else now. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. Jesus did not come to make you Jews. Jesus came to make you saved. Jesus did not come to make you a Jew. He made you become the son of God. He made you become the children of God. That's what he became. And, and Gentiles don't have to stop being Filipinos or Mexicans or Australians. They don't have to stop being those. They just have to be Christians. They just have to be Christians. They just have to be born again. And Paul said, that's the message. That's the mystery. That is what I'm here to tell you. And Jews were angry at him. And the Judaizers accused them. And Paul paid a heavy price. He went to prison. But how does this happen? Look at verse 7 again. The gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to his working power, verse 8, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable, unfathomable riches of Christ. How did God communicate the secret? To preaching. How does God communicate anything today? Through preaching. Now next week, prayer. Today, preaching. So it's all about preaching today. Paul says, I'm preaching. You preach, I preach. Remember, you don't have to be a preacher to be, you know, you don't have to be up here to preach. Philip preached Jesus to one person. When you share Christ with one person, biblically, you are a preacher. You are a preacher. Isn't that amazing? And you thought you weren't a preacher, huh? Run away from it. And then you share Christ, you're a preacher. Paul says, I'm a preacher to the Gentiles. This was communicated through me. And I have good news. I have good news, and this good news is not a duty anymore. Remember I told you about 
writing a check for a million dollars and you're just calling your friends up and say, I got great news for you. Paul said, I got such great news. I can't even hold it. I have to go and tell them. And he was so excited about it. In fact, Paul says of himself in the book of Romans, I am a debtor to Jew and Gentile. What does that mean? I'm a debtor to Jew and Gentile. See, Paul didn't go to the Gentiles and said, you know, you better pay attention to me. I'm the Jewish rabbi. You know, he would have said that before Christ. But once he met Christ, he says, I have received grace. And I have received good news. I have such good news. The best news you'll ever heard. The good news. The gospel. That's what it means. Evangelion. Good news. The best news. I'm not giving you money. It's more than that. It's the riches of Christ. And I can't wait to tell you. See, evangelism is not a duty. We've got to switch our mind in thinking about that. Amen. You better preach. You better do it. You better show up tomorrow. Hope we never come to that point. But to say, you know what you have in your mind and in your mouth? You realize how much you have? You have the unsearchable riches of Christ that no man can ever earn or deserve or paid for or understand unless it is revealed to them through the preaching of the gospel. You have an amazing gift to give them. Now, if you had $10 trillion to give to someone, you couldn't wait to go see them. Man, I got to see you tonight. <laughs> I have to see you. You're going to be so blown away with this. I'm going to write you a check. Ooh, check. <laughs> you couldn't, honestly, you probably could not wait until tonight. You probably said, I got to meet you for lunch because you're going to be so happy I told you this. And that is the gospel. The gospel is, look, it's not that I have to go. I want to go tell you. I have an incredible news that you have never heard before, especially Gentiles. No hope, no grace, no Messiah, no future, nothing. And they're still out there. Gentiles in the world with no hope and no Christ and no covenant and no future. And you have the great news. And you have the news that says, look, can I write you a $10 trillion check? Well, you got more than that. Couldn't you wait to tell somebody about it? Can you keep a secret? <laughs> That's why I called it. Can you keep us this secret? They don't know yet. They, the Gentiles don't know yet. And the Jews are hardened against it today. You got the secret. You got the riches of Christ. Paul says, I couldn't wait to tell them. I had to go. And it didn't matter that I was in prison. I still could write. <laughs> and it says, I'm a debtor to you and Gentile, meaning that I, they don't owe me anything. It's not like I'm going there and I'm doing them a favor. In fact, the grace of God is given to me that I want to give it away. I am indebted to God. I'm indebted to, what I, to, to God for what I received. I can't wait to fulfill that promise of God in each and individual person. So I can't wait to go. I'm a debtor. They don't owe me anything. Paul didn't go and say, hey, you better pay attention to me. I'm the rabbi. He says, no, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And beware of that attitude when we go and share the gospel with people. It's not like uh, they owe you anything. You owe them. You owe them. I said, what do you mean you owe them? Because you have received grace. You have received the gospel, didn't you? Was it free? God held you up for something? Did God give you a shakedown about it? No, he says, 
Here it is. Don't you want somebody else to know about it? That's what you're a debtor. You're a debtor to Jew and Gentile. Somebody had mercy on me and told me about it. Paul says this, and to bring light into the administration of, uh, of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. Paul said of himself, I am the least of all the saints. I am the least of all the saints. Do you know what Paul says about himself? A couple of things. He's the chief of sinners, the least of the apostles, the lowest of the saints. That's how Paul saw himself. Basically saying, why did God choose me? Why did he choose me? The Jews of all, the Jewish of all Jews goes to the Gentiles. But he was a minister. The word minister there is the word for servant. Servant. I am a servant. I am a servant to preach to, to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Unfathomable riches of Christ. By the way, if you're a minister today, and the word minister just simply means a servant. So don't, don't get this concept idea of ecclesiastical thinking. Minister. Some guy in a suit. That's long-winded, right? That's a minister. <laughs> a minister simply is a servant. And all a servant needs is two things. Paul says it right here. He needs grace and he needs power. That's all a servant needs. Grace and power. Do you have the grace today? Do you have the power today? See, sometimes we may have the grace, but we lack the power. And sometimes we think we lack the power. We don't, we don't think it's, uh, it's the grace. We think it's us. And so it's grace and power, which, call, which causes any minister, anyone to preach. Right? And I wonder, and in this, minute, in this, in this church, in this fellowship, if not, God, if, if not, God's calling someone uh, to minister and to serve. And you're going, to need a, you're going to need God's grace, and you're going to need God's power. God's grace and power. I wonder. There's a young man here that God's calling into the ministry. And God calls you to do two things. Receive God's grace and receive God's power. And then go. And God will do something in your life. But the gift to do what? To preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word is inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. Meaning this, Paul is saying, I don't run out of material to tell you about Jesus. You know, it's one thing. I, I've heard comedians and actors and people that make their living, you know, public speaking, they say they find it really hard to find new material. They're always searching for new material, you know. In our world and age where it's like YouTube and Vimeo and uh, Snapchat, five minutes and people forgot you. <laughs> five minutes and you move on to something else. Oh, look at this video of a kitty cat. Oh, that's cute. Let's move on to the next video. And then someone comes up with some crazy idea, jumping off a pool uh, of a house to a pool or something. Oh, look at that video. Then you move on to the next thing. YouTube stars and everything. People forget very quickly. The attention span is less than a goldfish. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's, that's, that's what you, uh, the new research shows. Attention span for young kids. Anybody young here? All right? Goldfish. Because of just the multimedia uh, facets of our life. Just one video to the next. Boom, 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 boom. And they say people run out of material. They say they have to come up with the next one to keep it going because otherwise people forget about them. Paul says, I don't have to worry about that. And you don't have to worry about that. 
Because when you preach Christ, you can never get to the end of Christ. You can preach Christ for eternity, and it wouldn't be enough time to preach about how wonderful Jesus is, how special he is. You think I, I get up here for an hour and people start freaking out about after you know clock ticks an hour and everybody's like, right? The challenge is not to bring it more than an hour. The challenge is not to, do I have enough to tell you today? The challenge is to cut so much off so I could just sit here and at least an hour tell you what the passage says. That's the challenge. It's never like, can I put fillers in? <laughs> Jokes, things like that. No. It's can I be able to condense it in such a way that within an hour or so, the message is clear who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he calls us to do. See, my friend goes to China. And when he goes to China, they tell him, you can preach. So he goes, yeah, I'll preach. And he goes, and he goes, what do you want me to preach about? Everything. Well, how long do I preach? From 8 to 8. From 8 to 8. Yes, 8 in the morning to 8 p.m. On what? Everything. Can you come back tomorrow? And can you come back the next day? People are hungry for the word of God. Because most of them, they don't have Bibles. So when somebody comes in with the Bible and tells them about Jesus, they just want to hear it. You know, we freak out about an hour and a half. They go on for 12 hours. Right? It's not a guilty thing. It's just, that's the reality. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The biggest problem we're going to have is how to condense the message so people can hear it. And it says this, this riches cannot be obtained by money or by who you are. This is only obtained by grace, freely given through Christ. We talked about verse 9. To bring light and the administration to the Gentiles. Really, the word bring light, it simply means turn the light on. That's really all it meant in the New Testament. It really means to turn on the lamp. Turn on the lamp. Christians, you are a lamp lighter in people's lives. You are a lamp lighter. That's what it means. You turn on the light. Isn't that amazing when you came to Christ? It was like the light came on. And I heard you guys sometimes say, you know, it's like it was staring me all these years. And one day, the light went on. Somebody told you about Jesus. Amen. And it went into your heart and into your mind. And you said, this is truth. And I receive it. And I accept it. And I repent. And I believe it. And then the light went on. That's exactly what Paul says. I am a lamplighter. I'm a lamplighter. And this is using the word of God. Because the word of God in the, in the Old Testament is seen as a lamp, isn't it? Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When the word of God came in, it's like the light went on. You knew. It's like you knew. The Holy Spirit had revealed some things, not everything yet, but some things about your life, that you were a sinner, that Christ was special, he's special, and he's the only one that can forgive your sins. That much I knew. And the light kept burning and on and on and on, right? Because then you know the grace of God and the love of God in the mercy of God, in the truth of God that continues you and persevered through the uh, difficulties and trials, the light keeps going on. And don't let that light go out. Don't let that light go out. Don't let the love grow cold and don't let that light go out. Keep it burning like the old Pentecostal song, right? right? Keep it burning, burning, burning. Burning until the break of day, right? Sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna to the King. We should bring a song. Does anyone know this song? Yeah. We got to finish because otherwise we get complaints that it's not done yet. So anyway, <laughs> how is God declaring this? Here's the question. 
if we're going to go turn the light on to people, if God has this mystery that has been hidden in Christ, how is he going to do this? Verse 9, of the mystery which the ages has been hidden, God who created us, who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God may be known, may be made known through the church. Ooh. How is God declaring this wonderful secret, this wonderful message? Through the church. Through the church. God could have chosen any way to, dis- to declare this. He's God. He could have done it any way. He could have peeked out of heaven. He could have picked angels. He could have done manifold things. But God said, no, I want to use my body. I want to use my legs. I want to use my arms. I want to use my body to do this. The church. He's going to do it through the church. And the church becomes God's visual aid. God's visual aid to all people. The mystery that was hidden. The manifold wisdom of God. The word manifold wisdom there. uh, The idea there is multicolored. Manifold. Multicolored. You ever seen a kaleidoscope or something that is multicolored? That's the manifold. Meaning that in the Gentile world, isn't there a manifold of colors? You've got tribes, tongues, nations, people, color, pigmentations, all different things. And the world goes, how can Africans, Irish, Australians, New Zealands that love Jesus have the same message? They have the same Jesus, they have the same message. How can they even agree on that? with different cultures and backgrounds. It's because the wisdom of God is seen in the church and the world wonders, God, how in the world can white people and black people lift up holy hands together and worship the Lord? We can't even do that in the secular world. Only happens in the manifold, the many colored of the wisdom of God that he can bring all Gentiles together in unity to worship God. It's the only place that it exists. And God's will is that he will have a people for his own name for every tribe, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what he wants. And by the way, that means that you can't be a Christian all by yourself. You can't be a Christian all by yourself. I love these lone wolf Christians. I don't need a church. I don't need fellowship. I don't need anybody. It's me and Jesus. You know, you might feel that way, and you may be justified in your own thinking that that is right. But you're wrong. (laughs) You're biblically wrong. You need someone else. You need fellowship. You need fellowship. Isn't that wonderful? God has revealed that to us. I know believers here in this fellowship that that believe that now. Like, I need it. I need fellowship. I was out of touch for a while, and I need fellowship. And God has been good to us, and he's bound us together in Christ. Manifold, wisdom of God. But this mystery that the Creator has revealed, there's something in there, verse 10, has revealed to the church, through the church, to rulers and authorities and heavenly places. The church is not just a visual aid to the world. The church is a visual aid to heaven. To heaven. Not only the Gentiles, uh, but the Jews as well. It was hidden in the Creator. God created all things. It's revealed in the church, or through the church, as to say, but it's also revealed to angels. What this means is angels are watching. Angels are watching. In First Peter, almost the exact same 
Verse, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ with the indicated when it testified in advance of the sufferings destined to the Messiah and the subsequent glory, but it was revealed to them but, uh, that they were serving not themselves, but you. In regards to this, that ye have announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels look upon. Believe it or not, and this is, this is the, the hard thing to remember, is angels look upon you and I to learn about God. To learn about God. Not only you are a testimony to the world, you are a testimony to angels. Angels have to learn. What are angels learning? Anybody? What are angels learning from watching you? <laughs> How can this guy get saved? <laughs> hey, Gabriel, did you really think God would save that guy? Yep. It's got to be the wisdom of God. How can that guy get saved? How can that guy show, God show him grace? They learn about the fullness of the secret of God in which God did not reveal it to anybody in the Old Testament. It was revealed to Paul. That's what Paul was so privileged. And it says, this revelation, it's not only to the world, but to angels. They look upon. Literally, the word is gawk. It's just like to gawk. It's like, really? God would save her after all that she's done and all that she did and all that was done to her. God was able to save her. Yep, it's grace. And she's a Gentile. Yep, she doesn't even have the Jewish roots. <laughs> she just has Gentile roots. Angels watch and angels, the Bible says, uh, look and intent to find out how did the grace of God get to you. And the Bible says that we join angels when we worship the Lord because they're worshiping God today. And so when you worship, we join an innumerable amount of angels worshiping God. That's quite a deep responsibility, isn't it? The more I read the Bible, the more I learn about things, not only a testimony to the world, but a testimony to, God, uh, to the angels. So uh, Paul says, and it's quite interesting, Paul says regarding clothes in Corinthians, regarding clothing, it says the women are to be modest, to dress modest, because of what? Because of the angels. Isn't that interesting? I'll leave that up to you to search it. Don't ask me about that one after service. You search it out yourself. But Paul says, ladies, modesty, because of the angels. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, it'll take me a while to, to explain that one. Let's keep going. But they see what God has in mind. They see what God has in mind, and it's a deep responsibility. Now for Christians to say, not only am I a witness to the world, angels look upon my life, they gaze at what God is doing in me, and they can't imagine, because angels, when they see that God's doing something, and they can't understand it. How can God save people? They're sinners. You know, a third of them, a third of them got caught in their own sin, and God judged them. God has mercy on you. You, are, you have sin. And God doesn't just get rid of you like that, does he? He has mercy, grace. And angels go, really? God became like one of them. They can't even fathom it. How can 
God did not become an angel, the Bible says in Hebrews. God became a man. Let's, verse 11, let's look at it and finish off. This was in accordance with the eternal purposes in which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, don't lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Just summarize it real quick. God has a plan. God has worked his plan through Jesus. And God uses people in his plan. This is the plan of God, that the gospel would go out to the Gentiles, to the world. And God has done it. It was his plan. It was his secret revealed to Paul, the mystery, that Christ wants to bring Jew and Gentile together in one body, all together in Christ, so the Gentiles in the world can know Christ. And he's going to use the church, the body of Christ, right? So the word church means a people called out. A people called out. Ek, klesia. Ek means to be thrusted out. Ek, or come out. Right? Get the word exit from that, right? Ek, exit, out. Klesia, people. People called out from the world into Christ and sent back out into the world to preach his wonderfulness. He's going to do it through the church. That's his plan. But God uses the church in a way that we forget so much, is that God wants us to have power to preach the gospel. He wants us to have confidence. Look at verse 12. We have confident access through him and faith, uh, faith in him. Confidence. Confidence is a thing that Christians lack because they think the confidence comes from like they have to trust in themselves to do it. No, my friend, your confidence is in Christ. You trust him for the work. You completely lay yourself down on him. It's the idea of confidence has to do with trust, trusting in him, laying down yourself at his feet, or in a sense, your chair. You have com you, do you have confidence in that chair? You've been sitting for about an hour. I'm pretty sure you have a lot of confidence. <laughs> It hasn't fallen, yes. it hasn't broken, despite your breakfast, it hasn't done anything, right? It's still in good shape. You have confidence. You have demonstrated confidence in a chair today. Can you imagine? Nobody here asked me how much, you know, pounds per square inch that chair holds. Nobody did. You just plopped down. Praise God. Trust the chair. But then I tell Christians, trust in Jesus. I don't know. Can he hold me up? You sure? How much can he hold? I got a lot of sins. Oh, he can handle it. Cole, how much? Unsearchable. You won't be able to ever get to the love of God. Find out the depth of it. He loves you that much. It's unsearchable. He forgives. He forgives. And just like you're trusting in that chair, he wants you to trust in him. Put everything on him. And I know Christians say, well, I'm just going to trust God for my family. I'm going to trust God for, you know, the things that I have. But they never trust God for their own salvation. They never trust Jesus. They put everything else on except themselves. They say, oh, I know that God's good. I know God's this and God that. Well, then put yourself on the chair. <laughs> Get in. Sit down. Trust him. Confidence. Confidence. Access through, uh, through faith in him. 
Trust. Trust. Verse 13. Therefore, I ask you, don't lose heart at my tribulations. This plan of God, it's working out in a great way. Despite my tribulations, Paul says, they're for you. They're for you. This is your glory. What Paul is saying here is it's, it's done something. Not only is it brought attention to what I've been doing, because Paul's in prison. They're like, what are you in prison for? For the gospel, to the Gentiles. They go, really? Tell me more. And people begin to know about the grace of God through Paul being in there. He says, look, don't worry about my tribulation. It's actually working out just great. It stinks being in prison. I would say so. And Paul says, I'd rather be out, but it's working out for your glory. It's working out in good, in, in, on your behalf because now people are wondering now this grace that has come to you. And this Jewish Jew was ready to go through tribulation for you. That's what Paul did for us. I'm ready to pray for you, Paul says. I'm ready to pray for you. In verse 14, we're not going to study it, but that's next week. For this reason, I bow my knee to uh, my knees before the Father. Amen. He's ready to pray. See, before he prayed, he had to tell him all 13 verses just to get to that point, to remind them how they were saved, where they came from, how this happened, this unsearchable knowledge of Jesus. And see, God has a plan to reconcile all men to himself. And Paul was so happy, so happy to reveal the secret to us. And the death and burial and ascension of Jesus was going to be preached through the church. And God used men and God used angels to bring his plan, but not fully, completely. We didn't know. They didn't know in the Old Testament. But now Paul says, it's been revealed to me. What a privilege. Paul's ministry, what a privilege. And he revealed the plan. He says, don't be discouraged. God is working it out. So, preach. Preach. So Paul is doing, preach the gospel. Share the gospel. You have a $10 trillion check in your hands. More than that. <laughs> the unsearchable riches of Christ. Would you keep it to yourself? If somebody's in need, you see somebody on the street hungry, see on the street somebody needing something, you'd be quick to write something. Hey, man, let me help you. Here's some cash. But is that all you would give? That would keep them up for maybe 24 hours, 24 more hours. But the unsearchable riches of Christ that you have in your hands, it's, it's eternal. It's eternal. So it's not a duty, it's a joy, it's like a debt. Like, I need to go and tell them. I need to go and tell them. And God does this plan two ways. Preaching and praying, preaching and praying. Next week, praying. The day was preaching. Through preaching, he lets the world know his plan. You know his plan now. Isn't that awesome? Through God, through Jesus, through Paul, through the New Testament writer, Paul, and through the Bible that you have in your hand, you know the plan of God. You know what he wants. Now we need to pray because we need the power to do it. Through preaching, we reveal his plan. Through praying, we release his power Amen. in our lives. Amen. The power to fulfill it. The power to fulfill what God said to tell. You go and share, it's the power of God to fulfill it. And these are the two things that are strong, that need to be strong in any fellowship. If our fellowship needs to, be, uh, needs to have strength, it's our fellowship is to be strong, it needs to have two things. 
people that preach and people that pray. I would say this, it's not an option either or like, I like the praying part <laughs> better. It's people that preach and people that pray. People that share Christ. The pastor, I can't be out like with the magnaphone thing, you know, I can't do that. And he says, we won't ask you to do that. We want you to preach to your friend, to your loved ones, to your family, to tell them. That's all it is, preaching. I convince you not that that's preaching? Okay. And then to pray. You preach, and then you pray. You tell them about God. Then you go home, and you talk to God about them. And then something happens. God begins to work in their lives through preaching and praying. And that makes you a minister of the gospel. And Paul said, I was so excited that I got to be the first one to know and tell everybody about it. And that changed Paul's heart from this Hebrew of the Hebrews, this hard rabbi, to the man who says, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Pray and preach. Preach to others and pray for them that they will come to know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I can think of many in my own mind today who need to hear the gospel. I think of family members. I can think of friends and loved ones and neighbors. Think of a lot of people that, can, that need to hear. But Lord, I also know that I haven't talked to you about them in a while. I need to pray for the power to be released in my own life to go and minister the unsearchable riches of Christ. Please, Lord, use my mouth. Use my mind. Use my feet, Lord, to go and tell them. Lord, I, I, maybe some of us here may not be confident in being articulate enough. But Lord, you have used a lot of people that were not articulate. You use letters. You use even the lives of people to bring about the good news. But Lord, we pray that today we would have an excitement in our hearts for this secret was revealed to us as well. We have it. The unsearchable riches of Christ given to us, the church, to proclaim who Jesus is, how special he is, how wonderful he is, that God's not angry with them, Lord, that you're not angry with them. You want to save them and you want to forgive them. That's your plan. Lord, we know one day judgment will fall the door of the ark will close. But Lord, until that day, we proclaim to every man, because we're debtors, we're debtors to Jews and we're debtors to Gentiles of this good news. Please, Lord, help us to renew, Lord, help us to renew our strength so that we can go. Make it real to us, Lord God. Don't just make it words that are just going to come in and go out, Lord, but make it Stay, make it stay in our hearts and that we will develop, Lord, a life of sharing and a life of praying, talking to them about God, talking to you about them. Please, Lord, change us and mold us and conform us into your image. We bow the knee to you, Lord, because you're the only one that can make us. You saved us by grace, Lord God. 
And you are going to give us the power through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the ministry of the gospel. Lord, make us ministers. We want to be ministers, Lord. We find it so hard to be ministers sometimes, and we find so many distractions, Lord. Please change us. Change our hearts and change our minds and change, Lord, our outlook of what we value above the gospel, what we value above you and what we value above the work that you're doing. Lord, you want to do the work through the church. So, Lord, here we are, your church, your body. I pray, Lord God, for those who have now bowed the knee to Jesus. I pray for those who have now bowed the knee to the Lord and proclaim him as Lord through faith and repentance. Please, Lord, change them. Please, Lord, remind them of who you are, your great love for them, Lord God, but also that you're Lord and Savior and that you want to save them from their sin. Lord, you said you would convict the world of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. You would do that. So I trust, Lord God, that those who hear will have ears to hear, will turn and grab onto you, Lord, fully trusting, fully trusting in you for their salvation. In this I pray, in Jesus, our Lord. Amen.